0: Acts 16. We as believers have three enemies. The world that lies in the power of Satan who prowls around like a lion waiting for someone to devour. And then we also have the deep darkness within us at all times an endless capacity to sin. And the fight of these three together can leave us feeling hopeless. Like we are enveloped into darkness with no way of getting out. Yet another story on the news. Yet another thing going wrong. Yet another medical diagnosis. Yet again, I have sinned. Yet again, I'm sitting in this pain that I brought on myself and I'm overwhelmed with guilt and darkness. We know, as believers, we know that we have a hope But what is it? We know that we have a hope. What is it? Let's read Acts 16. Paul came also to and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. He put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the, prisoner, the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. When it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go, therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We know, according to uh, other parts of your word, that uh, your word is a two-edged sword that does surgery on our hardened hearts. And so we pray now, Father, that you would do it. Let these words not simply go through our heads. Let us not just simply hear them. God, help us to trust them. Help us to believe in your Son. We see, we know that Jesus is better. Make our hearts believe it. We are, all of us in this room, prone to wander prone to leave the God we love? Would you keep us here? Would you open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us in your word so that as we walk out these doors, we might see a better picture of who you are so that we have a better confidence in our place in you? Accordingly, Father, if there is anything that I say that is against your word, if there's anything I say that goes contrary to proper theology and thinking of who you are, I pray that you would help us to all forget it. And if there is anything that any of us think in this room as we read, as we hear your word that is contrary to you, we pray that you would remove it from our minds. You place right thinking into our brains, Father, Would you do this? Would you change our hearts? You're the only one who can. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Because of the darkness of the world, the ruler of this world, and the heart that resides within us that is dark, life can be overwhelmingly dark. But at any given moment, no matter what circumstances come, no matter what darkness falls, we have a hope found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. What we see in our passage is the outworking of this love at the cross that infuses hope and light into the life of sinners by God saving these three people from darkness. And by each of these, we see the power that God has over all three of our enemies. The gospel is the hope in darkness that we have, that God in his son at the cross defeated every kind of darkness. By you and I seeing this story, by you and I seeing Acts 16, we will have a better understanding of the light and hope we have We will have a better view of our Savior and we will have a better way to fight the darkness. Three stories of the light of Christ invading darkness. The first is that Jesus opens the heart. The second is that Jesus delivers the slave. And the third is that Jesus redeems the evil. Jesus opens the heart. He delivers the slave and he redeems the evil. Let's look at the first one. Jesus opens the heart. In Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas are coming back from their first missionary journey because uh, Paul was almost stoned to his death. And upon their arrival uh, at this church that they planted, uh, a group of people are arguing over how to be saved. The Jews argued that a person must be circumcised in order to be saved. Uh, And so the question was taken to Jerusalem and the resolution was made. You do not have to be circumcised in order to be saved, but here are some things that you can do and not do so as to not offend your Jewish brothers so that things will be fixed between you because the church is a picture of the gospel. And the whole place rejoices because of the glory of God getting to be magnified again. And Paul and Barnabas, they set out. They're like, okay, we're going back from Jerusalem to go and tell all of these churches again about this good news. You don't have to do anything. You believe. So they strengthen their faith. They encourage them in the good news of Jesus. Uh, And then once they get to the last church that they were at, they just keep going. They sail over and land in Philippi, uh, which uh, the book of Philippians was written to these three believers, was written to the church that starts here. Uh, But I have one map And then just some photos. So you can see down at the bottom right corner is Jerusalem where they started. They've gone up through Caesarea, Antioch, Tarsus, Iconium. We just read about all of these. And then you can see Troas. And then from there, they sailed across to where Philippi is. Um, And you see Neapolis right there at the bottom and the subset, outset thing. Uh, So right here is where the very first European church begins. The church was Middle Eastern until this moment, until Acts 16. Uh, so I wanted to show you just some pictures of Philippi today. These are the uh, ruins that stand. You can go to the next one. This is the, uh, the river that runs through that most likely somewhere in this area is where these uh, group of women met I took all these pictures myself from the internet. But so usually what happens is Paul would go to the synagogues to preach. Uh, he was a trained Pharisee. This is what he did. But the rule, uh, part of the law was that you had to have 10 Jewish men, men specifically, in order to have an official synagogue. If there are not 10 men, even if there are only nine, you cannot have a synagogue. So what happens is you have to go to an open sky area near a river or a sea. It turns out, as a Roman colony, there are no Jewish men in Philippi. So they go over to where this might be taking place. They hear rumors, they hear rumblings about where someone might be praying, and they speak to these women who had gathered. <clears throat> one one woman they meet specifically is named Lydia. Lydia is a seller of purple goods which meant she sold purple dye in order to turn rugs and cloaks and and robes into purple. Uh, So her main customer would have been royalty. Most likely, Lydia is making bank. She has got all sorts of money. Royalty are are her customers. So it's really kind of funny that when she invites them over later, the text says she prevailed over us like it was going to be a hard decision. But By Lydia, we see a glimpse into how God works his grace. Verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. What we know about Lydia is that she has a family. She works hard. She could be anywhere she wants to be. She could be anywhere. But she's here at the river trying her best to know God. Why? Why would anyone do this? She's, she has to have realized on some level this darkness that pervades the world and so she's searching outside of the world. She's hoping and praying that her efforts to find them will be enough. But they never will be. There's no way for a person to be anything enough to satisfy God's demand of holiness. The human problem of sin separates us from ever reaching that holiness on our own. And the issue here is that God would be just to never allow a single human being to come to him. But what does he do? He opened her heart. He opened her heart to the gospel. This is the light that breaks through the darkness of her heart the text says that God opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. And we know Paul was sharing the gospel with them about the grace of Jesus. This is what the darkened heart truly needs as it is our true and better hope because it points us to something outside of us. Because the human problem of sin is not that we sin. It's that we have a darkened heart that emanates sin. It's not the outside that defiles a person, but that within. It is our heart. In the dark state of sin, there's no way for a dead heart to trust anything except for darkness unless something miraculous were to happen. And it did. Jesus at the cross overcame sin and darkness. And that work gives those who believe a brand new heart. This is the good news that she needed to to hear to be saved and this is exactly what you and I who are already saved need to hear. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says this, and we all, all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, The bad news is that those of us with hearts have dark hearts. But the good news is that God opens hearts for all who have hearts. The world is dark, ruled by darkness, and we have darkness within us. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the light that invades every bit of that darkness. And by this one act of Jesus on the cross, our hearts are continually Opened First to believe and then to continue to believe by beholding the same glory. Jesus opens the heart and then Jesus delivers the slave, point two. The next day, they're going back to this place of prayer where uh, they encounter a slave girl. She's possessed uh, by a spirit of divination, which means she could foretell events. Uh, So people would come from, all around to hear what she has to say, and they would hear about their futures. Uh, the men who owned her exploited her for this, and they're making all kinds of money by her, and so she's got two kinds of slavery on her. But for some reason, she followed our guys, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation, which is true. But truth coming from someone who doesn't believe the truth is mockery. Paul gets annoyed with her and calls out the spirit in the name of Jesus. And she's delivered instantly from the evil spirit. Radically different person from Lydia. Same lights of the darkness. A couple of things we see here. Demonic possession and activity does not necessarily look like what we see in the movies. It might. uh, But Satan is masterful with disguising himself as, a, as an angel of light. This little girl made these men a lot of money. Most likely they dressed her up to look pretty good. Not demonic. And she speaks the truth. This means that demonic possession and activity can take form in anyone who is not sealed with the Holy Spirit, even though they know and can even speak the truth. How does Paul react, though? It's not with fear. Uh, Typically, when you hear of demonic activity, uh, especially if you go on YouTube, it's just kind of a fear-inducing thing. Paul does not seem to be afraid. He's annoyed. He's not afraid. But we have to see this because two truths will always be present. God graciously works, And Satan is always at work, too. Both of those things are happening. But who holds the power? Simply calling Jesus' name. Spirit flees. And this is just one form of darkness that Satan employs. Satan enslaves humans to works of darkness that range all across the spectrum, from hardcore drug addiction to simply keeping us from reading our Bibles. Satan is a powerful being. But he and all of his minions are defeated foes. By Jesus at the cross, the power of sin and darkness was shattered forever. We who believe were adopted into a new family. Before believing, we were sons of Satan. We were daughters of Satan. Our hearts were darkened to the good news of the gospel. We were darkened to the glory of God. But in Jesus, we are Adopted into a new family, which means Satan can no longer force us to do anything. He can entice us. He can call out and say, hey, come live back here. But he cannot overcome us if we are in Jesus. This is Jesus' point when he's talking to uh, some Jews. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. God has the power to deliver from any kind of slavery and bondage. If he can deliver this little girl, he can deliver us too. He can deliver any person, no matter the current bondage. Whether it be for the very first time, from slavery of sin to freedom in Christ, or whether it be an addiction to alcohol or pornography or a lifelong streak of anger or overeating or any habitual act of darkness that can keep us from Christ. No power resides in us to change because it's within us, it is, with, it is what is within us that defiles us. But that's the very part of us that the gospel goes after. And now by the power of the indwelling spirit alone, we have the power to stand. We don't charge at Satan. We simply point ourselves back to the cross where he was already, already defeated. Jesus opens the heart. Jesus delivers the slave. And then Jesus redeems the evil, point three. Because of all this, the men who made money off of the slave girl are, of course, upset. And so they cause an uproar in the city. And what happens next is absolutely brutal. They drag them to the marketplace where everyone will be. They stripped them of their clothes, and beat them with rods. A historian noted that uh, a person who was beaten with rods would have been left with a sticky, swollen mass of lacerated skin and open wounds which is bad enough as it is, but they're brought into the jail and the jailer goes even further. It's an evil act what he does. He takes them into the inner prison, which was the darkest place, usually a lower level where the sewage would go, only accessible by a hole in the floor. And this hole was the only way in or out and it served doubly as The the prisoner's not in the inner prison. This was their toilet. Leaving the inner prison full of mess. Men only lasted a few days in the inner prison. And he bound their feet into a torture device called the stocks, which is just two pieces of big, uh, two big pieces of wood where you could stretch out the legs leaving yourself in a, uh, in a cramped position, leaving the prisoners with no choice but to lay on their backs, their swollen, sticky, open, wounded backs on the floor with who knows what. And yet they sing. The other prisoners were probably used to hearing groaning and screams, and then after a while, nothing. And yet what they hear from the whole is singing praises to God. What a beautiful truth. The legs and backs feel nothing in the stocks of prison if the heart is in Christ. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake that shakes the foundation and every door of the prison is opened, every chain that was holding the prisoners down is gone. The guard saw this and was going to kill himself. It's first of all humiliating, but secondly, Whenever this happened and prisoners escaped, the guard had to take responsibility. He had to take on the punishment of whatever was coming for any of these prisoners. So if any of them were to be put to death the next day and they escaped, the guard now has to be put to death. Every prisoner is set free. They are released from their chains. He knows what's coming. This is not gonna go well for him. So he pulls out his sword, ready to kill himself. And from the pit, Paul cries out, do not harm yourself. We're still here. And the jailer comes with lights and he sees and he trembles before them and perhaps asks the most pointed question in all of Acts, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I don't think I'm going to last until tomorrow. What must I do to be saved? And look at verse 31. They said, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. This is what our God can do. He saves even the evil man. And the truth of the matter is that we are all evil we have a deep capacity for all kinds of evil and if we're not honest about this fact then we will never see the grace to be changed in the first place and we're going to end up even deeper in bondage to the sin that we say we don't have we are evil we have to know this but the good news of the gospel is for evil people believe and you will be saved and that doesn't stop after the first time we are saved We are continually reminded of the salvation by faith. And so what happens is one of the most beautiful things. What they say in this moment is that we understand what's happening. Don't harm yourself. Jesus became the guard responsible for accepting punishment that was not his. And he allowed prisoners to be set free. You do not have to harm yourself. Jesus took that harm for you. And the same word used for stocks here was used by Peter to describe another device of death in 1 Peter 2. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. On the stocks. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. What we're to see is that this is a picture of Christ who was beaten, tortured, and killed for our sin. This is why this man who was utterly evil, they said, keep them safely. He took them in and did horrible things with them. He took them to his home. He washed their wounds. He gave them food. And together they all rejoiced that he believed. Why? Because at the cross, what Jesus did has eternal ramifications that continually create a new heart within us that continues to change us and will finally and forever one day fully bring us home. And the gospel is the light that we all turn to no matter if we've been a believer for 10 seconds or 50 years, because the human problem of sin is not that we sin. It's that we have a heart that emanates sin. It is darkened. It's not the outside that defiles a person, but that within a person that defiles them. It is our heart. And so the key to change is not by doing more of anything, but by beholding the grace of the cross again, and again, and again. This is why we have the same salvation three times in different ways. It's a beauty of diversity that God can save all across the spectrum of people, so there's no sense in which we can be too far gone, too far of anything, for God to save us. This is why David writes in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Point me again to where I am saved. God saves and God transforms by the same gospel. And so it's the same light, the same gospel that is the same hope for any darkness. Jesus at the cross conquered darkness, conquered evil because he became darkness and took on evil for us. And in his death, there is no reviving it. So there's no such thing as too far gone. There's no such thing as God not saving a horrible wretch. He's in the business of saving horrible wretches or this room is empty. Jesus all at once, once and for all on the cross bore our sin and shame on himself to shine light into the darkest regions of this life, our heart and this world. And one day we will have hearts that will never die They will be brand new. One day, Satan will completely and forever be defeated. And one day, Jesus will usher in the new heavens and the new earth, all because of what he did on the cross. This is why it's the same thing that they point to over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts. It's the same uh, resolution. It's the same answer to every human issue because every human issue comes from the heart. The only way to change that is the cross. I listened to a man uh, speak briefly about sin. His take on it, he said that America was going to fall apart because of the sins of this current population. He said that the rampant sins of the American people were worse than they had ever been before. And then he said something that baffled me. He said, 70 years ago, we were a nation of God-fearing people, and we were so much better because of it, but now we have no hope. And this broke my heart, because there were many people listening to him. But he's absolutely wrong, for two reasons. 70 years ago, we couldn't all use the same water fountain, but perhaps even more tragic than that, there. It is hope. There may not be hope for America as a nation. I don't know that. But we're part of a greater nation. That's what matters. But let's be real. How he got there is no surprise at all. It is no surprise to any of us that we live in a world that overflows with sin and darkness. Our hearts don't have the capacity for grieving every one of the tragedies we hear about every morning. And if that's not enough, we live amongst people who we know and love that are not believers. And if we trust God in his word, we know the reality that awaits them. And if that's not enough, believers live in war against an enemy that we cannot even see, who prowls around like a lion waiting to devour. And if that's not enough, we live with a sinful capacity to commit any kind of sin, and we will never be without it as long as we live in these mortal bodies. And all of this outer darkness compels our inner darkness to live in the outer darkness. And this darkness gets trusted as light, and so we willingly give our lives to it. And this darkness only brings more darkness because what can those in the dark do to bring light to themselves? Nothing. And in this darkness, we sit. And we wonder, where is the light gone? Maybe we don't have any hope. When the truth of the matter is that we are no longer bound by sin and darkness. We have been adopted into the light and there is no thing or person or spirit that can remove us from it. The truth of the matter for believers is that we need to only open our eyes and behold the glorious light of our Savior. Colossians 1, verses 12 and 13, say, give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Who qualified you? not you so there is no removing you from that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins and so by the tender mercy of our God the sun rises to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace we might still see the effects of darkness. But we no longer live there if we are in Christ. Darkness is as light to him. He is the light and savior of the world. The darkness will not overcome him. Behold your savior who loves to shine light into your heart. And so no matter what circumstances come, no matter what darkness falls, we have a hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If it's found anywhere else, it will fall apart. And we might end up believing truly that we have no hope. But if it's in the unchanging, never ceasing, amazing Jesus Christ, then we always have hope. The key is looking back to the cross to remember. to behold and remember more clearly this morning, we're gonna take communion together. And as we do, we fix our eyes upon this light. We're called to remember. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me because in saying that, he's saying, you don't have to search for it any longer. I have done it. Remember it. And so if you're a believer you're welcome to the table. But if you are an unbeliever or if you sit in unrepentant sin, I ask that you would remain in your seat because 1 Corinthians says you would eat and drink in an unworthy manner. But if this is you, there is light waiting for you. If you are in unrepentant sin, you need only open your eyes to see the mercies that God has for you this morning, the light that is waiting for you, the hope that is waiting for you. Return to your Father in this time. And if you are an unbeliever, there is no way out of the darkness on your own. But you see it. Believe and you will be saved. For all of us, here is our prayer in this time. Father, I admit that I love the darkness. My heart seems devoted to it as much as I long to hate it. Would you remind me now of the light that you have shown to me that I might behold it even more clearly to fight the darkness? I pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen. Take your time to pray through what it is God has given you in his word. Pray through what God is burdening your heart with and then when you're ready, uh, the elements are at the back of the room. Grab them, bring them back to your seat and we'll take them all together here in a minute. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. No matter what circumstances we might find ourselves in, because this world is dark ruled by a dark ruler and we have darkness within us no matter what comes there is a light that overcomes and it is Jesus and so we remember that on the night when Jesus was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after cup after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that not only has shown light into our hearts to show us that there is light, that there is a way, that there is an opportunity to be in a relationship with you, to be adopted into a family of light. Not only is that true, but the same light of Jesus Christ, your son at the cross, continues, will always be something that we can look to to see the light is still there. We might be in a valley, in the valley of the shadow of death, but it is only a shadow. The fact that there is a shadow means the light is still there. God, would you press this truth down deep into our brains and hearts that we might believe and so that when darkness does come, when darkness presses in, when thing after thing goes wrong, when this medical diagnosis comes, when we lose this person, when everything seems like there is no earthly hope, would you point us back to Jesus? We thank you. We are unworthy to be here. We were enemies of you, and yet for some reason, you desired to shine light into our hearts. And for that, God, we will praise you and we will thank you forever. Help us now to sing. Help us now to know this truth and to proclaim it with joy, with a smile on our face and in our hearts that says, you are my living hope. Help us to sing, Father. Open our hearts in this time.